But Father God, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word that's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, you brought us to this place, Lord. We know that you can do amazing things with your word. And so, God, would you just let your word come forth today, God, your spirit, your power. God, let it be to your glory and let it change us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I'll be in Matthew chapter 15 this morning, verses 1 through 20. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother will let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to, is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father nor his mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me? And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the same? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not even yet understand that whatever enters in the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, it's not defile a man. I titled today's message, Eat Some Pork and Shrimp. I, I thought that that was a very fitting title, and, and you'll know at the end of this why I titled it that. Uh, the first reason why is because I love pork, and the second reason why is because I love shrimp. Um, the, 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 the point of this whole message as we walk through it, we're going to kind of be bouncing around because it's a big portion of Scripture, but, but the, the end result is this, is that we've got to figure out what defiles a man. And, and what does the word defile mean? I'm going to use this word a lot, so you've got to pay attention to the definition. Defile means to profane something that was intended to be holy. And so Jesus is talking to these guys and telling them, you got your head twisted. What you think defiles a man does not defile a man. What you think doesn't defile a man defiles a man. So you've got to get that squared away because you don't want to desecrate or profane something that is sacred. Amen. So the first thing is this, is traditions can defile. And Jesus says this to these guys, men's traditions defile, not God's commands. Verse 3, he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And what had happened is, is that these Jews had created a tradition that said men ought to wash their hands before they eat bread. And, and this had become a law to them so that all the Jewish people around there would wash their hands before they eat bread. Jesus shows up, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. Hey, let's have some grub. The guys are like, hey, let's eat. And all those guys are like, hey, what? Your disciples don't wash their hands. 
They're transgressing the law of God because they don't wash their hands. And Jesus shines a light on them. I was like, hey, dude, the Bible never said you had to wash your hands before you eat bread. That's, that's not what it is. And, and this is one of the biggest problems that was going on with Judaism at the time is that there was a bunch of man-made laws that they were saying were God-made laws. And, and it's funny because people, and you'll hear this all the time in Facebook and everything else, you know, Jesus came to call out the religious people and he did, but what he was calling out in those people was not the people that were following the commands of God. What he was doing was calling out the people that had created extra layers and saying, this is a command from God. And, and Jesus was calling all those people out and saying like, hey man, you're kind of missing the point here. You're turning something into a command of God that isn't a command of God. Mark 7, 13, he said this. He said, you're making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things that you do. And that's what man-made traditions were doing. God has always intended us to be people that would follow his word. He said, I've elevated my word above all else. He wants us to know his word. And so what these guys were doing is they were creating all these other man-made traditions. And Jesus says, what you're doing is you're making the word of God of no effect because you're focusing more on these man-made things that you've created instead of the God-made things that you can follow very, very easily. And so what happens is is that they come to Jesus and they say this about his disciples. And so when he's confronted, he immediately shines the light back on their man-made tradition. He says this in verse 5, Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. What, 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 here's what's going on in this. It's that there's a very clear command in the scriptures that say, honor your father and mother. Yes? Back there in Bible times, they didn't have Social Security, 401Ks, retirement plans. And so it was expected and commanded that people would take care of their parents. So not only just honor them, but actually take care of them, bring them in, do all these other things. And so what these hyper-religious Jewish people had done is that they created this tradition where they said, um, all of my money belongs to God. And, and, And Mark says it this way, this money is Corbin. That's what they said. And and what that was saying was, because all of this money belongs to God, I cannot give it to you parents to take care of it, take care of you, because all of this money belongs to God. And and, and, I mean, there's there's a spiritual implication that we've said many times, all of our money, yes, it does belong to God, but the man-made tradition that they'd created was being able to say, this all belongs to God, put you at a defensive position to people and say, so I don't have to take care of you, mom and dad. In in effect, Jesus says, nullifying the clear command of God, which is to honor your father and your mother. You've created this man-made tradition that has an appearance of godliness, but it's not. You're you're nullifying the clear command of God at the expense of this man-made tradition that God never said, all the money belongs to me, don't take care of your parents. He said, all the money belongs to me, honor your father and mother. But the man-made tradition was taken away from that. Let me say this. There are good biblical traditions and there are bad traditions. Bible's very clear about it. Second Thessalonians 2.15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. 
1 Corinthians 11.2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. See, Paul encouraged the early church to hold true traditions. The, the Bible's not very clear about what those traditions were, but what is clear is that there were traditions that Paul said, keep these ones. This is what we do. This is our tradition. This is how Christians have been doing church, so we're going to continue to do church this way. But he also says that you should stay away from people that don't keep the traditions. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, withdraw from every brother who does not walk according to the tradition. Some traditions are good, but some are bad. Look at Colossians 2.8. Colossians 2.8 says this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so Paul makes a distinction here between godly traditions that are good, some people would argue extra-biblical traditions, What I'm saying is that there's cultural traditions that exist within Christianity that are good and godly. Nothing wrong with them. But he makes the distinction, says, now man-made traditions that keep you from godliness and keep you from God, stay away from those ones. Those ones are no good whatsoever. Uh, He says this in Colossians, uh, what is it? Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, meaning traditions, Why is though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things with perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Again, drawing the distinction between sometimes there's things that men will say, either Christian or unchristian, like you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't be part of this, but it's completely disconnected from biblical reality. And and Paul says, you know what, men, do not be deceived. Don't be pulled away in the wrong directions. It's like this. Meeting on Sundays is our tradition, right? It's what we do. And uh, there's some churches that meet on Saturday night and Sunday morning. It's their tradition. We will never have service on Saturday night. (laughs) We won't do it. Why? Because I don't want to go to church on Saturday night. That's not my tradition. I can't celebrate Easter on Saturday night in the dark. I can't do that. Just my tradition. Is there anything wrong with people meeting at church on Saturday? No, you can have Friday night church. You can do whatever you want, man. My tradition, though, is that I like church on Sunday mornings. It's just my tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not a commandment. The order of worship that we have, it's not a commandment. We, we always come together and we have you know uh, an announcement, a few songs. We do our giving. We do some more announcements. Then we do preaching. What if we started with preaching? Yeah. It would be out of order. You guys would like, what? Why is he starting with preaching? That's very clear within the Bible that there was preaching and there was giving and there was worship. All those things are part of a Christian worship service. But our tradition is, yeah, we worship and then we do the word. If we flipped it, it wouldn't be like God would be like, well, you can't do that out of order. Right? It's not a commandment. It's a commandment to worship. It's a commandment to go to church. It's a commandment to, to, to listen to sermons. But it's not a commandment to do those things in a certain order. It's just our tradition. There's nothing wrong with it. When we do fasts at this church or we have revivals or retreats or all these things are just kind of part of our fabric of what we do as Christians. They're all good, but they're not a commandment. We don't say like, well, if you don't go to the men's retreat, you're not a Christian. Uh, But you still should go, right? (laughs) But if I said that, that would be a commandment of man. It would be wrong for me to say that because it's not what God says. You can go to heaven and not go to a retreat. You just may not experience heaven on this side. If you miss out on that retreat, because it's fantastic, right? 
Turning them into a commandment from God is when you start to defile the Word of God. I make the Word of God of none effect when I start to make these man-made rules to satisfy whatever sense of, you know, uh, I want to have over something instead of letting it be of God. Uh, Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. It's like this. I dress like this on Sundays. Why? Because... I would just feel disrespectful coming in here and preaching in a t-shirt and jeans uh, wearing a baseball hat. I just, it wouldn't feel right to me. Like wearing shorts looking like, I mean, I did yard work yesterday and if I had dirty pants and the word of God would not be changed based on what I was wearing. But for me, I just like, there's got to be a difference between yard work clothes and church clothes. It's just, that's just the way that I, that's just the way that I am. Now, I would love to make a commandment to say that people have to dress a certain way to come to church. Um, I'd put everybody in uniforms. But um, (laughs) I've searched the scriptures, and there's no command in scripture for what you wear to church. There's just not, man. Um, And so you can't make a man-made law and say you have to wear it. Like Pastor Christian, Pastor Kerry, Pastor Birch, they all love wearing uh, ties. Oh, I hate wearing a tie. And they, they feel like they're honoring God by wearing ties. I am not going to wear a tie. It chokes me. It's so hot. I just don't like it, you know. Um, but that's a commandment of man. That's not a commandment of God. You can dress You can dress how you... If I was in the Middle East, I'd wear those long scalloped things they wear in Pakistan. If I was in Saudi Arabia, I'd wear their funny looking things, the hats. Like, I'd look pretty gangster as a sheik, honestly. But... <laughs> um, but the point is you can't you can't turn it in you can't turn it into a commandment it's not and 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 so that's how man-made rules work it's my tradition but i've not made it a law and that's when christianity goes south is when we start making man-made laws and passing them off at god as god's commandments that's what the definition of legalism 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 is not holding you to the standard of the scriptures that's not legalism and people, people get so upset, they're like, oh man, that church is so legalistic. Why? Because we hold to the commandments of God? No, uh, legalism is putting on a commandment that's man-made, that's completely separated from Scripture. It's like this. When I, back when I was in high school, I attended this church, and um, I, I loved my pastor. He was a great man. And the way our church was situated up in North Seattle, it was on 105th, just off of Greenwood. And the church porch... You came in from the side in the parking lot, and then the church porch sat here, and then there was a sidewalk, and then there was the street. So if you were standing on the railing of the church, uh, cars would be about where that red, uh, the front of the front row of the church was. So what my pastor would do on Wednesday nights before church is he would bring out his piano, and then he would play uh, worship music to all the people that were stuck in traffic because there was a light that was down there about 10 cars down, and it got backed up for blocks. And so he would just sit there and play worship to people and have a microphone, and they'd be, you know, flipping them off and cussing at him. I was like, Jesus loves you, and like, you know, inviting them to church, whatever, dude. He was, he was the man. And so when I was in high school, uh, we used to drink Thomas Kemper root beer. And we used to drink them in like these 32-ounce brown bottles, right? And it looked just like a beer. And so because I thought I was cooler than school, I remember I showed up on a Wednesday night and I was rolling with one of these 32s, man. It looked like a 40. It really did. I didn't, I didn't, 
I didn't drink in high school. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and my pastor's like leading worship to these people, right? And I'm sitting there just, you know, kicking back on this 32 ounce root beer. And my pastor goes, hey man, what's in that bottle? And I was like, root beer. He's like, it doesn't look like root beer. I said, but it is root beer. He said, dude, don't, he didn't say dude, but he said, go put that away. I don't want you drinking that out here. And I remember inside, I was like, you know, mama, who do you think you are? Tell me what I can't drink or drink. You know what I'm saying? Like I run these streets, you know, I want to drink my root beer. I'm going to drink my root beer. I'm going to drink this root beer. My pastor said to me, he said, you know, you know, it's root beer, but everybody else here in traffic watching me try to lead them in worship and get them to come to church just thinks you're some knuckleheaded kid drinking beer before church. He said, why don't you do this? Either leave or put that away. And I, I mean, I did what any other 16 year old kid did. I went behind the church and I finished my root beer and then I went and walked outside. Still a little rebellion in my heart back there. <laughs> there was no like commandment against me drinking a root beer in front of the church, but the appearance of it, right? It wasn't really legalism. It was just like, man, that just doesn't pass like muster, right? That's just not a really good idea to do that. Our tradition here at Faith and Victory is to stand in worship. It's not a requirement. You can sit. I can't sit. I can't do that. Our tradition is we raise our hands and we say amen and and those types of things. You can sit and be quiet and worship God. I can't. That's not our tradition. Our tradition here is that we hug people. Some people really find that very creepy. Gosh, those are the most hugging people we've ever met. Now the commandment says in the Bible to to greet each other with a holy kiss. The hugging don't seem too bad now, does it? I like hugs. Hugs are just fine. Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. But you turn it into a law. You say, man, you have to hug in, hug out to come to this church. A little bit creepy. Here's the the underlying problem with traditions, is it's the hypocrisy of it all. The hypocrisy defiles. External piety does not please God. God doesn't look down on what you're doing externally and be like, gosh, I'm so glad you're doing all these external things, but your heart is far from me. It says this, the people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's what Jesus was calling out these guys of what they were doing. They were acting religious of washing their hands before eating bread, but they weren't really having a heart that was towards God. They were saying all this money belongs to God. And so I can't take care of my parents, but their heart wasn't really towards God. They were just living behind the veil of this pious man-made tradition. It would be like this. Holding, holding to the traditions that we have here at this church, right? You come in, you hug somebody, amen, I'm attaboy, brother, come in, raise your hands, worship, come to the altar, close your eyes, uh, amen, in the middle of the sermon, and then you hate God. You hate me, and you hate this church, and you hate everything it's about, and you don't believe it. You're just like an external piety to somehow make everybody else around you seem that you're some sort of Christian, or think that somehow God can look past your external and say, well, I'm doing all the right things, but my heart is so deceitful and away from you. And God says, you know what, man? That's hypocrisy. That, that's what I'm really trying to get at, is that the traditions in and of themselves, like there's nothing, please, wash your hands before you eat bread. Yeah. 
Like even more so now than probably back then, right? What's wrong with that? That's my tradition as well. I always wash my hands before I eat bread. You have to eat with me at a restaurant. I order my food and then I walk to the bathroom. I wash my hands and then I sit like this until my food shows up. I did that before COVID. That's just always how I've been. It's not a commandment. It just makes good sense. But that's not what God demands. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. It's like this, being on the track team. How many people knew that I was on the track team in high school? Not many people know this, because... I, even Dan just looks at me and goes, you on the track team? <laughs> yeah, dude, I was on the track team for one year. And, and I'll tell you why I never talk about being on the track team is because I was horrible at track. <laughs> I was football and wrestling four years, track one year. And, and I, I just wanted another letter. I wanted something to do. And so I remember going to track practice and at track practice, there was like one, one or two coaches and like 60 kids. And so I did shot put and discus. And, and so you go over the uh, shot put pit and the coach isn't even there. Like the seniors are just trying to train you and teach you how to do it. And so I'm just like, ugh, ugh, and doing that kind of stuff. And then you realize the coach isn't around. Nobody's paying attention. And so you'd go there for 10 or 15 minutes. But like, I'm going home. And then you just like go home. You're just not there for the whole entire practice. And then I figured out you don't even have to go to practice. You can just show up to the meets, wear the jacket, and make it seem like you've been at practice all week. And because everybody's disjointed, nobody really knows that you weren't at practice and that you weren't on the team. There's a sermon in there somewhere. I didn't have a problem wearing the jacket pretending I was on the track team, but I really wasn't. I was just looking for something else. I, I hated it. It was dumb. It was, I was no good at it. But I really liked the outward of having people think that I was on the track team. I'm not sure if you know this, but God doesn't like hypocrisy. <laughs> he does not like it. The Bible's There's some things the Bible is not clear on. There's one thing that the Bible is very clear on, and that is God does not like hypocrisy. He does not like you saying one thing and then doing something completely different. Now, I've got a few points of hypocrisy that I'm just going to touch on this morning. This isn't exhaustive. I don't want you to think like, well, he only said these four, so I don't have to worry about anything else. There's still rotten hypocrisy in your life that you need to uncover, but here's four you can start with. Number one, looking at other problems in other people before looking at the problems in yourself. Matthew 7, 5, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What that means is look at the problems in you before you look at the problems in somebody else. God doesn't give you the scriptures and everything else to walk around and be like to everybody else. It's meant to shine a light on your dirty, not in the rotten heart so that you can know what happened to you. So you got more than enough planks in your eye, big pieces of wood that you can pull out before you start worrying about the dust in somebody else's eye. Secondly, claiming Christ and not controlling your mouth. James 1.26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. That means as a Christian, you need to watch what comes out of your mouth. Don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't speak against each other. Don't go around cussing. Don't do those types of things. Don't make false oaths with your mouth that you have no intention to keep. All those things, the hypocrisy to say one thing and do something differently. Thirdly, do not do charity for other people 
people to see you doing your charity. Matthew 6, 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Let me give it to you like this. It's like going on a mission trip just for the photo ops. It's going to only pick up trash in the parking lot at church when someone's watching. It's serving with a heart, uh, with a heart condition of saying, well, I want to serve in a ministry where other people can see me serving. Now, let me say this in the digital age. I have to clarify this. There's nothing wrong with taking pictures on a mission trip, right? You share that stuff on social media and it inspires people to give and inspires people to go on mission. There's nothing wrong with me getting my picture taken here on a Sunday while I'm preaching and having to be used on social media. But my heart condition, it's some extra thing. And even being online, like it doesn't matter. My heart is that I want you to be refined by the word of God. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to have a robust relationship with him. Like I said, I dress this way not so I can look good online. It's because I don't want like a buffoon in gray sweatpants. You know what I'm saying? It's a heart condition. It's hypocrisy if you get it out of line. Four, slamming others for doing what you do. Romans 2, 3, and you think, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's like watching pornography and then chastising people that, that watch it. It's, it's being an angry person and then getting mad with people that are angry all the time. It's being a greedy person and saying people are too greedy. It's about not serving then getting mad at people that don't serve. It's about not giving then getting mad at people that don't give. That's the hypocrisy that, that the Bible talks about. Now, what does that mean to you? Now, there's much more areas of hypocrisy, but you can start with those four. It'll keep you good and busy. It really will. Now, here's the reality is that typically only the only person that knows the depths of your hypocrisy is you and God. You you, you can say you can fool. You can fool a man, but you're not going to fool God. If you are living a hypocritical double life, you are only fooling other people and you can't even fool yourself because you know that you're a hypocrite, but you cannot fool God. The Bible says this in Luke 12, two, for there's nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. That's what it says. And I'll tell you, in my life in ministry, I've, I've been ran over by many hypocrites many times because I'm just like, uh, my general disposition is that I'm loving, I'm trusting, I believe the best in people. And so people take my kindness for weakness. They, they make it seem as though they're somewhere they're not. They tell me things that I want to hear to manipulate me into believing things about them that aren't true. And so I've been burned many times and I'll continue to be myself because I know that God's going to deal with them. God's going to take care of it. And it always comes out to the surface, however long that it takes. And and that's interesting about God is that he's a gentleman that way. Like if you've got some hypocrisy in your life, I would encourage you to take care of it as quickly as possible. Like if you know that there's something you shouldn't be doing that you're doing and you're like, man, I am such a hypocrite, dude, deal with it now. Because if not, the Bible says that God's going to bring that thing out, not because he wants to embarrass you, but because he wants to refine you. And he wants to bring you somewhere into a place where you can walk in holiness and you don't have to be a liar anymore. I've had many times where people come to our church and they say things like, well, you know, I just don't think I'm good enough for your your church. Like, well, you do not know the people that attend this church. (laughs) Man, we've got all manner of background of sin in this in this church. I mean, I look around here. I don't think there's one that we got missing, man. We got it all. We got it all. 
But one of the things that we do do, which I encourage, which I think is really what makes our church precious, is that we don't lie to ourselves, man. And we don't lie to each other. We don't try to pretend things aren't the way that they are. Dude, if you're struggling with something, talk to a brother or sister and be like, dude, this is where I'm at, man. I did it again this week and I'm not doing well. You don't have to lie. No one, no one comes in here and says, pretend you have it all together and then we'll love you. That's not how it works, man. You just, you be honest. Like, dude, this is what I'm struggling with. And this is where I'm at. Help me walk. We do. We're going to walk with you. We're going to pray with you, whatever. And that's what really God appreciates a whole lot more than this sense of like false piety of like, Oh, well, I, I'm really squared away and I've, I'm taking it. No, dude, no, I don't expect, please. I hope you don't expect that out of me because I don't expect that out of you. That's hypocrisy. 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and be deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that's what imposters do, man. Imposters come in and pretend that they're Christians when they're not. They pretend they've been walking with God when they don't. Just because other people are hypocrites doesn't mean that you can be one. That's just not how it works. Back when Crystal and I lived in Texas many years ago, we lived next door to these super uber Pentecostals. And they were like the, you know, no makeup, no gold buttons, no television type of Pentecostals. And and they used to, I remember them looking down their long spiritual nose at Crystal and I because we had a television. Like, you guys watch television? You know, our pastor says that we can't watch television and, and television's the devil and, and um, you know, all this other stuff. And, and some of you grew up in those types of churches and stuff that spoke out against the the well, you know, but there's people watching me right now on television. That doesn't make the television evil. The content is what makes the television evil. There's some evil content that you shouldn't be watching. But the TV in and of itself, it doesn't like wake up at night. Like it's just like, it's just a box, right? What was really funny about these people is that, you know, it kind of convicted me a little bit. Me and Chris were like, man, should we not be watching Survivor? Like going to hell for watching Survivor? But it was so like, you know, these people next door, it's clear they loved God. And at, at night, there would just be this, this blue glow that would come from their back bedroom. Mm-hmm. I just thought, gosh, man, they must be so close in God. The, the Shekinah glory <laughs> manifesting in their back bedroom at night. Just a blue glow that you could see from the other side of the fence. I, I mean, me being who I was like, man, y'all just, y'all's bedroom was glowing last night. What were y'all doing back there? <laughs> That's hypocrisy. First John 2, 4, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Friend, we do not, the traditions that we have here, we don't do those uh, as a means of saying this is our relationship with God. But if we say that we know him and we don't keep the known commandments of God, the Bible says that we're liars. The Bible says that we're not his children. Uh, Here's an example. And and Jesus draws on this in the scripture. And this was the whole point of the sermon, which is to be able to eat pork and shrimp, uh, which I'm very excited about. Food does not defile you. And, and, and that's a very important distinction. And, and this is what I love about going through the word of God is that it's not something that we talk about a lot. Uh, but what these Jews were saying to Jesus is that because his disciples weren't washing their hands, they were defiling themselves and profaning God. How can you eat with dirty hands, right? You're a sinner if you do this. So Jesus makes a very clear distinction and says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. 
this defiles a man. And he's, he's outlining their hypocrisy of washing hands, but their heart being completely far from God. Now, Jesus says two things in this statement as he's talking to these uh, people. One, eat what you want, but watch what is happening in your outward actions because that's what's most important. What, what you're putting in your body, whether it's food that you ate, you didn't wash your hands, or, or by implication, any other food that you may eat, it, it's not what is going to defile you. And this is a hard thing that people, are try, that people try to grasp, especially with people that want to manipulate the scriptures to make you believe something that's not true. So he goes so far as to say this, do you not yet understand, dummies, that whatever, that's how I read it, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. Now, the, the translation of that, the literal translation is, whatever you eat goes into the privy. A privy is a toilet. It's a latrine. And so our Lord and Savior makes a very clear distinction with these people and says, listen, man, whatever you eat, it's going to be eliminated. Like, that's not what is going to defile you. So why are you focusing so much on this? Why are you focusing so much on this? Now, the the Bible makes it very clear that the dietary restrictions of the old law have been done away with. And this is transformative for those people as it is for us today because Jewish law forbade eating many foods, pork or shrimp or shellfish or all these other things. And, and Jesus in this moment is speaking to these guys. I'm like, you know what, man? I'm going to destroy so much of you. We're actually going to destroy the uh, uh, dietary restrictions. You guys can be set free from that as well. The distinction is this, though, is that in the first, uh, first century, you had converted Jews that could not free themselves to go and eat pork. So like uh, anybody here raised in a Jewish household or raised as a, a Jewish person? Okay, nobody. One person in first service said their grandparents were. I didn't grow up being told not to eat pork. I wasn't, I wasn't growing up told not to eat shrimp. I was told to eat whatever was put on the plate in front of you. That's how I was raised. But if you were raised in a Jewish home in the first century in your whole life, no shrimp, no shellfish, no pork, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and goes, we're doing away with that, the new church comes out, that you would ha- still have some sort of conviction about it. You would just be like, I know I'm free to do it, but uh, I just can't bring myself to eat it. And so a lot of the scriptures about food in the New Testament that Paul talks about is that Paul's making the distinction. Like, listen, man, there's new Jewish converts that aren't going to feel comfortable eating meat uh, that, that's pork or those type of things. So like honor them, like tell them it's okay. Like, and, and he even goes so far as to say, and, and if, and if it hurts their conscience so much, don't even eat it in front of them. What you believe about those things, just keep between yourself and God, just for conscience sake, they, they can eat it, but they don't feel right about eating it. So just let them not eat it. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Just honor God. Forget about what you're eating. Here's some scriptures to know about food. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Amen. Romans 14.20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. And that's what's talking about like, if there's sometimes God will free you to do things that you're like, dude, I can do this. And other people are like, man, I feel like I would offend God if I did that. Don't, don't dispute over matters, matters of conscience because especially particularly to food, some people are like, man, I just can't eat that. I don't feel like, well, I can, man. Give me your crab. I'll take it. It's fine. 
Romans 14, 14. And I read all these scriptures to you because you notice in the way that I preach, I always use a ton of scriptures. And the reason why I do that is because I want you guys to be assured that I'm not just telling you stuff, that I'm showing you what the word of God says. Okay. And if I just gave you a list of scriptures, you wouldn't go and read it. So I have to read them to you. Romans 14, 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him, it is unclean. He even goes so far as to say this in 1 Corinthians, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. Peter had the same problem in Acts 11. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, no, so Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, why why does this matter today? Why do I talk about this? Well, it's where we're at in the scripture, and I want to be honest about where it says, but there's also like there's these other abject religious sects out there that try to teach you things that are extra biblical, and then what they do is they try to make you feel like you're not holy enough because of what they do, like black Hebrew Israelites, they're super anti-pork, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, um, uh, Hebrew Roots movements, uh, Messianic Jews, like, and, and what they do is they... They, what they do is they make the God, the word of God of none effect because they put these things on you that are not biblical based on the scriptures. And so if you have people like this and they float around, uh, they th- float around Facebook and all this other stuff. There's this gal that used to attend our church and now she's trying to create a following on Facebook, trying to convince people about all this nonsense. I'm like, <laughs> no. Uh, and, and so I want to teach you this stuff so that you can just like take out that bacon and just be like, I know the word of God. Pull out that crab leg from your back pocket and eat on that thing, man. I, I have no conscience at all about eating that stuff at all. This is this is why we have Easter ham. It's why we have Easter ham. First Timothy four three, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Praise God, man. Here, here's here's the issue that Jesus is getting getting at. Is that the heart is what defiles, not food. It's not it's not what puts in what goes into your mouth. It's what comes out of you what defiles you. That's what makes you. And there is. Very clear things that are sinful, that are against God, that you should have nothing to do with. That you're like, man, this thing is evil. Now, can I be honest with you? Okay, maybe not. Okay, if you don't, if you don't want to go, if you don't want to go to this church after I tell you what I'm fixing to tell you, then whatever. But I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. Like, I smoke the occasional cigar. Like, that's just one of the things. That's one of the things I do. And I'm not. I'm not even apologetic about it, man. I've been doing it for 30 years, uh, and and I enjoy it. I always say, see, look, someone's even leaving right now as I said it. Um, and uh, um, and uh, you know, I always, I always tell my wife, you know, where I am, what I'm doing, and who I'm with. I'm just out on the back porch, man, enjoying God. You know what I mean? And and some people might be like, well, you know, if you can't do it publicly, why well, can't do it privately? I don't make out with my wife on the front porch at the church, like, you know what I mean? The Bible doesn't really have a big distinction about tobacco. There is, there's not, like, drunkenness is abundantly clear. That'll keep you out of heaven, man. Things a tiger, you better be careful with that. 
I'm not justifying. I'm not saying, hey, man, let's go open up a cigar shop. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just being, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you a distinction between like a man-made thing and a worldly thing of just like, and she doesn't. She's like, ugh. And I got to really want one because then she won't kiss me for two days. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm just trying to like draw this picture so you guys can understand that like, like little stuff like that, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And, and you, God, I'm like, you know what, man? Let's talk about your eating. Let's talk about your motorcycles. Let's talk about your quilting and your clothes shopping. Let's talk about your fishing and your hunting and your gun buying and all this other little minuscule things that bring you some measure of pleasure that have no earthly value or no heavenly value whatsoever. But for some reason, you like to buy candles and it makes you happy. Then buy your candles, Miss Sylvia. I'm not going to keep you out of heaven. You know what I mean? She smokes what she smokes. I smoke what I smoke. (laughs) Don't, everybody's going to be like, you know what Pastor said? Don't miss the, I just, can I be honest? Can I just be who I am? If you love me less, love me less. I'll come over to your house and I'll go through your cabinets and find something to condemn you for, okay? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. And, and that's really the issues with traditions and food keepings and killing your television and all those different types of things. They never get at the heart issue. They, they never get at the heart of just like, do you want man? You're a vile person. The way that you live and the way that you talk and the way that you treat people is contemptible and evil. Yeah. That's what God is concerned with. He's not looking down from heaven to be like, well, you exceeded your calorie count today or you ate this pork. or That's not what he's looking at. He's looking past all of that straight into your heart and saying, you know what, man? What's coming out of you is what is profane. What's coming out of you is what's desecrating. And you're making the word of God to none effect because you refuse to be honest about what really needs to change inside of your heart. It's this idea of being so overly religious and avoidance of so many things things as a form of godliness thinking that somehow that's what's going to get you into heaven but it's not only a regenerated heart can get you into heaven you know that i mean it's and i always call them the super saved man like i i've been saved for over 30 years man i love jesus i want to honor him with my life and i'm a pastor but sometimes i meet people that are so saved it makes me feel like i ain't saved like they're super saved you guys ever met people like that? Yeah. Like they're super, super saved. And and again, like it's not, it's like movies, right? We watch movies, but there's some movies that afterwards create things in you, right? Anger or lustful thoughts or fantasy, like don't have nothing to do with those, right? If you can watch a movie and it's benign and you're just like, yeah, hey, I was entertained. There's nothing wrong with that. Some television programs are hellish. Don't watch them. Like you should learn how to be like, dude, we shouldn't be watching this. Click and turn it off. And so you've got to have a like a measure of spiritual maturity to be able to walk through these things because uh, you just can't make a law and say no watching TV. You can't you can't make that kind of law because it's not having to do with what the Bible says. The issue is what comes out. Colossians two sixteen. So let no one judge you in food and drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. 
Don't let anybody judge you on it. That's why when people are like, well, you know, the early Christians didn't celebrate Christmas. Well, how could they call it Christmas if he was just born? They weren't having mass. Like, they weren't Catholics yet. Right? Well, Easter is Ishtar and the bunny and crucify the eggs. And I'm like, I don't know, man. They call it Easter. We set aside the party. I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on that day, man. You can call it whatever you want. Let, let me... This is the issue that Jesus is trying to address. Get your heart close to God. Have what comes out of you be godly. That's where the rubber meets the road. Not this pious religious actions that have a form of godliness but deny its power. Let me list off a few things of flesh that that defile. Now, don't don't just stay with me for a second here. Don't go to the next slide. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. We'll just cover a few of these. Now, I don't even have to explain them because most of you know what these things mean. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Those are bad. Okay? Real bad. Now, man-made tradition versus very clear commandment of God, it's very, very clear what you should not be doing. The works of the flesh that are coming out of you are not going to be your television watching and your chrome rim wheels. Like, that's just not how it is. It's adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Next slide. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you see those things coming out of your life, that's, that's an indication that you need a heart change. Not, not to be a hypocrite. If you're doing any one of those things and, and pro- professing to be a Christian, today is your day to repent from those things that God, I don't want anything to do with those things anymore. I want those things to be cleaned out of my life. I want my life to be pleasing to you. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. And, and, and going back to the clothes thing, I, I don't believe that God's going to come in and say you shouldn't have worn Well, maybe some people shouldn't have worn that. But like for the most part, he's going to look past all that and look straight into the heart and be like, you know, man, I appreciate the fact that you're all sued and booted, but your heart is deceitfully wicked. Like you put on this outward adornment trying to trick people into think that you're somewhere where you're not. When the heart was never dealt with, we've got to deal with the heart. Friend, the actions of your life are going to send you to hell if you don't get a hold of them. The actions and intents of your heart can send you to hell. Keeping worldly traditions is not going to send you to heaven. This is what the Bible says, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 7.1, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. 
And that's what we should be doing. Denying ungodliness in this present age. Not worrying about traditions and food and those types of things. Because that doesn't pay the bills, man. What pays the bills is heart change. A pure heart before God. And, and as we close this sermon today, this is what I hope, man. I was, I was pretty vulnerable today. I, uh, and, and, and I know that last week we talked about forgiveness of sin and those types of things. And so my prayer is that you will stay close to God, stay in the scriptures, and that you don't use this as some sort of justification to go out today and go get ripped tore up. Because that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. Message of the sermon is work on your wicked heart. Yeah. But eat some shrimp and pork while you're doing it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads, as is our tradition? You don't have to. It's just our tradition. <laughs> Do it. Hey, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning you're not a Christian, I'd like to invite you to become one. It's really quite easy if you're a Christian or you're not. Either you're giving your heart to Jesus or you haven't. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, man, I am a sinner, man. I need to be set free. I need to be forgiven. I want to walk in that new life. If you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do it for the first time, I'd like to pray with you and I'd like you to just raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'd like to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Now, maybe you've made that decision before. Or you say, you know what, Pastor? I, I mean, that was a long time ago gave my life to Jesus, but I took it back. I've been living for myself. I've been living like the devil. I've been living. But today I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Today I want to come back to him. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today and come back to him, you want to raise your hand right now. We'll pray with you as well. I see that hand. Praise God. Is there anybody else? Now, if you'd like to, you can come up front. So I'm going to pray with you about that this morning. Yeah, you can. It feels weird. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can come up. Someone pray with you, or even after service. Father, thank you for your word that's so free. God, it gives us freedom to live. At the same time, it keeps us in check of how we honor you in our lives, God. Father, today we submit to you once again, God. We give you our hearts. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that we can walk in a way that doesn't defile you. And we thank you for that power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.